Hello friends, welcome to episode 145 of Storyteller Conclave. It's a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? Oh, oh it's been a week. Buddy, I am tired. It I has know. been such a long week, and it is Wednesday, It is Wednesday. If we don't do these check-ins, I swear, life would just drift. Yeah. So yeah. this is good. Thank you for being here, everybody, with us as well. We appreciate it. And for you who are not here live with us, we appreciate you listening to our tired rants. <laughs> oh, man. So. Yeah, you are you are getting both of us at, uh, at best, 60% energy tonight, man. It's, but we're uh, here, and we're doing our therapy session, and it's the second Wednesday of the month. And that means and System Spotlight. Correct. And actually, we kind of had a surprise on this one come out of left field, because um, Stars Without Numbers is our uh, topic. And when we were doing a little bit of research on this, I ran across a Reddit article uh, I, can I call it an article? It's a Reddit post. thread. It's a thread. It's a Reddit thread. Um, and I'm going to butcher it. Zarish, Zarosh? Zarish, yeah. Yeah, uh, Zarish9 uh, had posted it, and I thought it was a really great summary of how they enjoyed Stars Without Numbers. And reading back through some of their stuff, they had a lot of really great uh, discussion about the system and how they got into it and what they had done for running it at this convention. And so, on a whim, we reached out and actually got to uh, talk to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, we weren't able to get them on the uh, show for tonight live uh, because they're out of the country. Yeah. Um, for those in the Discord, they're seeing some photos uh, that... Uh, Halfway around the world right now. Correct. So, they're on a much different time schedule, uh, but they were able to talk to us a little earlier today, and uh, Rob got... Uh, recorded some interview with them and some yeah. of that so uh we've we luckily have that to share with you yeah we're gonna be kind of sprinkling it in here and there to include uh charles is, is his name uh his comments uh as we go but uh, to give you guys a little feel uh and and hopefully yeah. this works as well as well uh, i'm gonna let him actually kinda, played the game you let, know let him kind of address uh you know what I, I asked him what you know what systems he's done and things like that so So I've been doing uh, tabletop RPGs for about six years. I moved to a new town in 2013. And, you know, I think growing up in this age, I I always played video games. A lot of people play video games. But I just started to get bored of how, you know, there's always those invisible walls. And if you do those MMO video games, it can feel kind of exploitative. Like they want to take all your time and and money and stuff. So we had this game cafe in our town. And the only thing I knew about people who play role-playing games that they're supposed to be super obese and antisocial and everything. And I, I was a little scared, but then I, at some point I just thought, I want to try something new. It sounds cool. And I tried it. I, I played one D&D game, and then I, I've, uh, right away I knew I wanted to be the game master because I just love, I love the idea of creating worlds and stories. <clears throat> so I started doing public games for about two years. Um in the course of that, I met a lot of cool people. Uh, <clears throat> I brought some people back to my house, choosing from the best people I met in the public games, the most uh, engaged role players. And we did about four D&D campaigns over four years. And uh, the more and more, um, in between those, when we had like a free weekend, we'd try out other systems. We've tried a lot of different systems. Um, <clears throat> some things we've tried include uh, Powered by the Apocalypse, uh, Dread, I love, love Dread, um, and uh, Call of Cthulhu and many others. 
So, and uh, now that I've did my fourth D&D campaign, it brought it to a close. I'm uh, really excited to do a sci-fi campaign next. So I, I'm going to try and uh, uh, keep sprinkling a little bit of our conversations in, but uh, our Patreons will actually get the whole interview that I had with him uh, that, that'll get posted up on Patreon. You guys can enjoy that mm-hmm, whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, he It was, was really... a pretty good pedigree of, uh, yeah. of games. Like That's a laundry list of games that I love. But so. when I heard that he, he liked Dread, I was like, oh, Sarah's, Sarah's going to oh, like yeah. this one. <laughs> But uh, so yeah, so let's let's get into this a little bit um, about Stars Without Numbers. Um, it's got a a history with uh, its creator Kevin Crawford. Um, he it's there's something in it that happened with Mongoose, but it's his publishing company, which is uh, Sign Nomine Publishing, which is just him. Um, and he does everything. He's actually local here in Michigan. Uh, I think he started in Traverse City. Um, and uh, it's still still in Michigan. Mm. Um, but it was back in 2010 uh, when Stars Without Number came out, and it was part of uh, uh, a a very similar uh, uh, design as uh, D&D with the D20 type of system. Yeah, look, um, it was uh, heavily heavily based off of uh, Dungeons & Dragons 3rd Edition with yes. their open gaming license. Yeah, which was huge at that time. It yeah. was a great thing. And then he did a Kickstarter to revise that in 2017. He then did a offset print edition again in 21, uh, in 2020, September of 2021. It got funded. And I think those are coming out. From what it looked like, there was about... 21 supplements and adventures that oh, went wow. along with this. Yeah. He's got several of them on his site, but drive through RPG has everything, which yeah. is wonderful. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you're looking for this, you can go to drive through RPG to find it. Um, but, uh, he also has his own site for that. Uh, one of the best things about this though, actually, is that the, uh, the rules, there's, there's different versions of the rules. Um, and there's, there's like, there's the normal version and the deluxe version. Mm-hmm. Uh, the normal version's free. Yeah, actually, you can just uh, it's it's got uh, I think it's missing rules for like uh, AI uh, characters and I think like maybe some you know Xenos aliens or mm-hmm. characters or something. There's there's a, there's a handful of rules and it, it specifies on Drive Through RPG which ones it doesn't include. Yeah. Um, but like eighty percent of the core rules are freely available up on Drive Through RPG. So if you um, uh, if if this at all intrigues you whatsoever, uh, go up and grab yeah. it. And, and the look. price is very reasonable. And it it's is... only twenty bucks for the uh, for the deluxe edition. Yeah, it's totally reasonable. If you if you're into books itself, um, there are books out there. I did find someone who was listing the books for a hundred and forty dollars. Uh, oh if you wanted hard goodness. covers, the soft covers, I think you can still get for like thirty bucks. Uh, but yeah, there there are people who are hardcore still holding those. So oh wow. wow. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the the setting. Um. We are in the distant future, not super distant future. It's, you know, uh, 3,200 years, you know, 3,200. And the original empire of mankind is literally laid to waste. So this, I love, I love the backstory for this, actually. It's, it's, um, so right around 2,100 or so, Mm -hmm. mankind, uh, and I, and by mankind, I mean a mad scientist, I forget the guy's name, but he's very much like a Doc Brown style character, some, some kook who, who, you know, tried to bend the laws of physics and everybody laughed him out of the scientific community, invents what he calls the spike drive. And he's like, guys, I have faster than light travel. And they're like, yeah, 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 sure you do, buddy. And he goes, gives him the finger takes off in his like his lab turns into a spaceship and just warps somewhere yeah and they're like okay where did he go he comes back 13 days later plops down a bunch of uh telemetry 
from Alpha Centauri that could have only been gotten from there. From there. Yeah. And then disappears again. Yeah. Um, oh, but along with that telemetry, downloads the plans for his stuff for his spike drive. Um, and so now we have that in our mm-hmm. in our possession. Um, basically, what it does it? It, it spikes a hole between our dimension and the next. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, basically, where the laws of physics and that that barrier on the speed of light doesn't exist. Yep. And so you're able to just <laughs> cruise. Yep. And so mankind expands out into the stars. Yep. Um, and distances we will call one spike year. It's what you can travel yeah. in one year on a spike drive, which is like 50 to 60 light years or something like that. Yeah, a, a r- very reasonable distance. Uh, so mankind starts finding out that uh, while you're in this what they call meta-dimensional space, <laughs> um, children start, for some reason, we don't really know why, it's uh, meta-dimensional extraversion syndrome, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. Um Basically, they start growing psionics. They become psychic, mm-hmm. um, which is actually not as cool as it sounds because it, it, it has a 100% rate of either killing you, driving you insane, or driving you insane and then killing you. Yeah, more like uh, Firestarter yeah. Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. That, that kind of story. Uh, so it takes us a while, but we finally get um, we get that all under control. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now we have actually like psychics that aren't going to die instantly mm-hmm. and they can start bending the laws of physics yeah. because they can do some really cool stuff. Um, we get a bunch of stuff called pre-tech. The pre-tech is this like stuff that really plays fast and loose with the laws of physics and does some really miraculous things. Um, like vaccines that will mutate along with the virus. Right. So it'll pick off anything, you know, human life expectancy goes to two or three hundred years, that sort of thing. Yeah. Along with it, though, we also get the stuff called SciTech, yes. which is technology that requires the use of psionics to power and use. Yeah. The biggest and baddest of all the SciTech devices that we invent are jump gates. Which is badass. Instantaneous stargate travel, basically, from one point in, this, in the universe to the other. So now we don't need the spike drives anymore, right? Yeah. Sure. So mankind's uh, uh, purview of the universe expands to, like, dozens of spike years out. And, and, and multiple systems. And from that, because you have these jump gates, these warp gates, um, and you don't need the spike drives, now you can have dedicated planets. Like, this is a mining planet. That's all it does. Because you can bring supplies in really quick. Right. right, the agricultural planet that's you know four systems away can just gate stuff over to you like almost instantaneously. Yeah. it's it's it comes back to that whole sections of country being used for ex- explicit purposes that that are, they're meant for. You know, terraforming whole planets to handle certain things. Aliens get contacted as well in this, but they're more like classic sci-fi aliens in the sense that they're they are not human. alien. Yeah, they're not human in any way. Yeah, so. this isn't Mass Effect. They're not like humanoids with, you know, with different, you know, faces that all speak English anyways. It's right, like, right. Uh, we, we meet, you know, semi-sentient jello molds Yeah. Uh, who have no idea what our society is, none of their goals or desires or needs line up with ours. Yeah, so things are going great. So we're like, cool, alien life, all right, whatever. And then... And then the scream. Yeah. Uh, basically, a storm of psychic energy rips through metadimensional space. Um, it does two key things. The lesser of which is it destroys any ship that was currently in spike space. Right. 
and we're talking it took 13 minutes to go from one end of uh human, humanoid space to the other right hundreds of light years almost like, probably thousands of light years at this point yeah covered in 13 minutes that's a heck of a scream um so it destroys anything that was in spike space at the time and 100% lethality rate to all psychics. Yep. Everyone who was psychic died. Mm-hmm. Now, that's that was, horrible. That was 600 years before the current marker. Right, so. right. So we're, we're 600 years out from, from where we currently are. Um, now, got... obviously, that was horrible. Yeah. But what, what the, the problem is is that all of the jump gates were psychic. Yeah. And without psychics to power them... None of those jump gates work anymore. And so every single world is now instantaneously cut off from every other world. Because remember, we have jump gates. We're not using those old-fashioned spike drives anymore, right? right? Maybe out on the frontier, but they're not in common practice anymore. Nope. You don't need them. So now you have a 600-year period we call the silence. Mm-hmm. And that is basically where... Uh, mankind's empire becomes fractured and marooned from one another. Yeah. Um, lots of planets that, like you said, were specialized, like that mining planet that didn't need to worry about agriculture because there was an agricultural planet. Or even industry. It's just mining. Yeah, exactly. What does it do now? It gets plunged into famine and chaos Mm -hmm. because the agricultural planet that was two systems away that was just sending it a bunch of food doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Or it might as well not exist anymore, you know? Yep. And so lots of planets slipped into chaos. Um, Lots of planets regressed technologically. Some of them never recovered. You've got some planets where people are still in, you know, essentially medieval ages. Um, Yeah. But you have other planets that that fared perfectly well Mm -hmm. that still have high technology, cyber technology, things like that, um, that have been able to train up their psychics. You've got space stations and whatnot the spike drive has come back into use um but what it offers you is exactly what it says on the tin Mm -hmm. stars without number Mm -hmm. The, the the human empire had spread out so far that literally whatever pocket of space you come up with could perfectly well be canon Mm-hmm. Every single one of us could come with a pocket of space and be canon, mm-hmm. stitch them all together, and we would still not cover 10% of the possible map right. of what human space had out there. Yep. Agreed. And so any weird little sector of space that you run your game in, mm-hmm. completely randomly generated or otherwise, is Fits. great. Yeah. Sure, there's a planet that used to be a big mining planet. Now it's all covered in weird fungus zombies with little dome cities and a ruined starport. And there's a pirate oligarch who runs the space station in orbit around it and has his own little pirate empire. Perfect. Perfect. Yep. Great. It exists. Just as much as there could be a post-scarcity world where literally there's, you know, it's, it's like Coruscant in... Star Wars, where it's layer upon layer of city that has been built up to make this gorgeous landscape of high rises and rich people living on top of the poor and destitute underneath them, uh, barely covering the fact that they're running out of food Mm -hmm. and supplies to continue this world and scavenging the parts underneath them to do it. Yeah. You know, 100% valid. Absolutely. 
Uh, I know. I think uh, Charles had some uh, some he did. thoughts on the setting. I, I wanted too, to, yeah. not so just so much the setting, but also just the system in general. Yeah, sure, uh, sure. So number it's oriented i would say it feels like fast accessible and just fun to explore so you have a decent amount of hit points the players do that is um about half as many hit points as you would have in D, so it goes from about you start with something like five and you, you end the game at about 60 to 80 <laughs> but um it's fast because you, it doesn't really incentivize combat only one of the game's classes is good as as good at fighting the psychic magic character actually doesn't have a lot of attack spells. They're mostly focused on getting around or moving things or, or persuading people. So it really has a nice focus on the story rather than just the fighting. So it's to me, when you look at it, and especially as a game master, and you look at these amazing uh, planet generation tools of which uh, there's an automated website as well, it just cries out to like, let's go explore. Let's go look at all these planets Let's let's uh, see see what's going on. Let's negotiate. Let's make friends and allies. <clears throat> let's go on a mission. So it kind of like it plays really fast. Usually you're just going to roll a skill. You're focusing on the story, on the fiction. You're not really thinking about the rules. There's no need to optimize any characters. So it's uh, and it's pretty easy to learn. So I'd say it's fast, accessible, and fun to explore. I love it. Yeah, I love it. And, and it was like that fast, fun, furious that fast, we get fun, furious, out of. Yeah. Thing. So it's. I, I, and, and the fact that he just went, it's fast, uh, accessible, accessible, and and fun, and yes. and I think that's I think that's the key. This game is very accessible. But he even talks about that uh, the ship creation and sector creation, and we're going to get into that. But it is really neat. I yeah. love yeah, and that that is something that is in this game. It gives a lot of uh, immediate uh, creativity. One of the uh, one of the things that I, I kept hearing about uh, about this game was that it was an OSR game. Yeah, and I actually had to like it. That that's not a not a term that I'm I'm terribly familiar with, even though I I, I more or less live in the RPG space. Um, but uh, I had to go kind of look it up and just really see what the definition of it was and what people you know interpreted that as in the uh, in the community. Mm-hmm. And that means o- OSR stands for Old School Res- Renaissance, mm-hmm. and it was a Kind of a response to the uh, um, 2010s-ish or so as games kind of started to move a little bit more narrative. Uh, Things like Powered by the Apocalypse started coming into um, into prevalence and whatnot. And there was a contingent of people who really kind of wanted to get back to the old school style of like hex crawl, dungeon crawl, second and third edition D&D style gaming. And uh, I kept hearing this. This is an OSR game. This is an OSR game, and I didn't quite know what that meant. And uh, now that I have a good understanding of the rules, um, I, I I absolutely agree with it. And I think just talking about that that um, rewarding exploration mm-hmm. of having a vast system that may or may not be randomly rolled up or maybe handcrafted sure. or a mix of both by your storyteller yep. and just getting out there and exploring and seeing what weird stuff the universe around you has to offer yeah. um, absolutely leans into that OSR feel. And I'll, I'll come back to that as this discussion evolves. No, I, I, there's definitely, Charles had some comments on, on OSR specifically, but I'm going to put it later because I, I kind of want, yep. I kind of want to unpack the mechanics a little bit. There's, there's again, it's it's very D and D like. It feels like you said, even said it, third third edition, just relaxed. Yeah, if it's it's D and D third edition, if everybody just chilled out. I mean, it's not full quaaludes. Don't get me wrong. There's still some chunky pieces in it. But... No, 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 no. But it's it's definitely like put some you know put some nice music on and just yeah. get get the get the warm blanket. Yep. Put the cat next to you and just 
relax. Yeah, I, I think the one thing that it leans toward is the skills. Like, that is a hard lean in this. Yes. Um, almost that it is everything. That It's just a skill check, realistically. There, there's, a, there's a whole class in the game built around it. Yeah. I mean, just being a skill jockey, essentially. Yeah, so if you're if you're familiar with D&D 3rd Edition, or really D&D in kind of general... Yeah, you're, and, you're, and I think probably if you're listening to the show, most of you are. Yeah, yeah, I mean, most people are getting into that. This is kind of a good way. I almost see this fitting between D&D and Dungeon World, as far as, is that, like, how yeah. flexible is this mechanic system going for? Yeah, yeah, but I agree. In, I agree. In, the, in the fantasy genre like this, it kind of sits really close to Dungeon World. It does. It does. You know, I, there was sense. definitely there was definitely some uh, some uh, savage worlds that was bleeding through for me, especially yeah. the skills list. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's it is a class base and leveled base system, right? But, but it, chill. But chill. But very chill. chill. So not class based in that that you've got like three dozen classes and they all have these twenty level scaling things that you're going to become a. And look, the power curve's really flat in this game. Yeah. Okay? And you're like your classes are like warrior. Expert, mm-hmm. psychic, mm-hmm. and adventurer, which is essentially multi-classed. Yeah, um, it's it's your grab bag, general general class. You only um, have three savings. You have uh, physical, mental, and evasive. And evasive saving throws. You know. um, and then uh, your your core attributes are all the same mm-hmm. uh, as as Dungeons and Dragons. Yep. Um, but like all of your numbers have been flattened. Yeah. Uh, so. For instance, uh, skills range from zero to five. Yep. And five is like godlike. Yep. Um, zero is actually a pretty typical thing to have in a skill. You have the skill, you just don't get any bonuses out mm-hmm. of it. But you don't get penalized for not having it. You've got yep. familiarity with it. Sure. You've done it. Right. Um, your attribute modifiers, um, something that all of us who play Dungeons & Dragons yep. know. They've been around since third edition. Yep. Where, you know, you go minus four to plus four, depending on your scale between three to 18. Right. Right? Still the same. Um, but your modifiers are flattened down so that only a three provides a minus two penalty to you. Right. Um, anything between four and seven is just a minus one. But an 18 only gives you a plus 2. Exactly. It's very tight. And anything 14 to 17 gives you a plus 1. Right. And anything else in the middle, there's like a big chunk, eighteen to thir- or 8 to 13 in the middle, that just doesn't have a bonus to it. No, it's just you. It's just you. Yep. And the, the main reason a lot of this was done was so that you could um, focus a lot more on role-playing your character than having to worry about min-maxing a character and playing suboptimally and... Um, all that jazz. They basically wanted the numbers to get out of your way so that you could play and explore and have fun rather than worry about, oh, well, I've got, I've only got a seven in strength, so that's crippled. No. Okay, it's it's more of a role-playing choice now. Yeah. Sometimes you almost kind of want to take the low, low scores to see what happens because there's not really a huge penalty to it. Exactly. And, I mean, in, your skill checks are 2d6, your combat is d20, and your initiative is d8. Yep. So, so I mean, your dice are even lower. Your dice are very low, but that 2d6 makes skills more effective, mm-hmm. period. End of story, because you're rolling two dice, getting more options. Combat, being a d20, now becomes the point of contention. Yeah. Because yeah. You, you've you only got one chance. Uh, saving and, throws are d20 as well. Uh, yes, thank yep, you. Yep. Thank you. Yep. Um, and saving throws base is based on a, d, is a, 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 a TN of 15. Yeah, starts at 15, you yeah. subtract your character's level and the best 
of your applicable stat. And that's what I really liked about mm-hmm. them. Um, was kind of along with the whole, we don't want to penalize you, you know, for having, uh, sure. for, for taking a role-playing choice of having a low strength or a low dexterity or something right. like that, you know, um, is you get to take the best of certain stats in certain instances. Mm-hmm. So, like, your uh, your physical saving throw is modified by the best stat of your strength or your constitution. So you can be weak, but physically resilient, mm-hmm. and still have a good strength, a uh, 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 physical saving throw. You know, mm-hmm. um, your evasive is either dex or int. So yeah, sure, you might be a klutz, but if you're smart and you can think on your feet, you're going to have a good evasive saving throw. And basically, they just subtract from that fifteen, and that's your target. So if I'm a level two character with a fourteen intelligence, yeah, then I've got a minus three to my uh, to my fifteen saving throw. I need to roll twelve or better. Yep, simple as that. Boom, done, easy. Very easy. Uh, skill checks, like we said, are 2d6, mm-hmm. modified by your applicable skill, modified by your applicable attribute. Um, and because the numbers are so low, also so are your target numbers. So um, you roll 2d6, you modify it by your roll, uh, but like 6 is your routine task. Yeah. 8 is, okay, things are starting to get a little spicy, Up all the way up to 14, which is like Herculean legendary task. Right. I mean, still know? possible, but... Still possible. Yeah. With enough modifiers and a high enough level character, But with absolutely. rolling 2d6, your lowest is going to be a 2. It's going to be a 2. Yeah. yeah. Because you're not taking hard negatives. You're you're being... You're, 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 you're going to be possible at it, and way more possible than rolling just a d20. Yeah. That's the beauty that I really like about that. Um, and it... I think that the the saving throw being just a DC 15 as a start point makes it really easy to do the math one way or another. It's mm-hmm. very quick to do everything. I think psionic stepping in then is is like magic is in 7C. It's only to a specific class. It is very uh, uh, narrowed down. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of 7C. Um, mm-hmm. especially, um, because when you, there's, there's two ways of accessing psionics. Right. Okay. And that is either take the psionic class or the right. psychic class. Psychic class. Um, or be an adventurer. And be partial. And be part psionic. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically when you take the adventurer, you get to be either, you, you choose two of part warrior, part ec- uh, expert, part psionic. Right. Um, and so basically you're multi-classing between two, and you, you get watered-down versions of both classes. But you have access. But sure, but you have access to it. But mm-hmm. if you take partial psionic, you only get access to one power set. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you take if you b- b- full psionic, you have access to everything. Right, right. And that's very much like your full-blooded, half-blooded in 7C. Very much so. Um, and also fans of like the Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn, uh, you're a misting or a Mistborn. Yeah, okay, okay. Is, I can see that. It's essentially totally what it comes down to, yeah. And then you've got on, you know, with access to that, you have the way that it works. Now they're not; it's not like D and D in that they're slots. Mm-hmm. It uses a point based system to that you spend to cast. You allocate, and Correct. that's what I really like is when you're done allocating, you get it back. Right. But you've got a it, it's a, a spend slash allocation. Co- committing is what committing. they call it. That's yeah, what it's committing. That's the word I was looking for. Effort points, and it's called effort, which I think is great. Yeah, because that makes total sense. You're making an effort. Yeah, exactly. 
But you can also torch. Torching is neat, and I love I love the name for it. Yeah. Um. So if you find yourself in a situation where you are out of effort, <laughs> and you need more, right mm-hmm. meow, and you don't mind taking some permanent damage to your character. Yeah. You can do what's called torching, and that's basically reaching beyond your trained limits. The yeah. only reason you aren't currently burning yourself out right now is because you've been trained how to rein yourself in and only reach within certain limits yeah. that aren't dangerous. Torching is saying, I'm going to reach farther. Yep. I'm going beyond beyond what they trained me to. Yep. Uh, you can just you just gain one extra point of effort per, per round that you do this as a free action? Instant action. Instant yeah. action. Um, and yeah, you just, you get extra effort points. Cool. Congratulations. You can spend those as you want. But it hurts your stats. Literally permanent damage to your stats. Yeah. Wisdom or con are most likely, but it could damage other stats. Mm-hmm. Very rarely will you, will you avoid that damage. So it's a one in six chance of avoiding the damage. Everything else results in literally permanent stat damage. Which I, I, I think is honest because it makes that a very dangerous skill set. Oh, absolutely. To push. And 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 do those types of things, um, but w- one of the things like in in this this is again where I'm going to kind of bring it back to this being an OSR game mm-hmm. is that one of the big things that you find in the rules and how things play out is this kind of like calloused detachment that the rules have towards your characters. Yeah, um, and and I'll get into that a little bit later when we're talking about kind of the feel of the game and such like that. Yeah, um, but. Uh, the game in several places says like, it's not going to hold your hand. It's not going to assume success. This isn't a game system where you fail forward. No, you screw up. Yeah. And it costs you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that happens. And sometimes that's where the drama comes from. You know? Yeah. You just got to try again. It's not going to assume success in any way. Encounters aren't going to be balanced. Yeah. And so because it's that style game, it's very easy to imagine finding yourself in a situation where you need to leverage permanent stat damage against survival. Right. Like, I can hold this door if I had one extra effort point. I guess I'm going to try for one. I guess I'm going to torch. Yep. You know, not something I'm doing lightly, but if the option, the other option on the other end of that is death. Yeah. I'll sacrifice a point of wisdom for it. Yeah. I, I think it's really cool. I had I had actually asked uh, Charles about this. A lot of this we, we we discussed with the thing, but he had an interesting take on uh, the skills, the 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 feeling versus D and D, and some some strangeness that he had found there. And I, I think it kind of fits here. The more I played D and D, the more I was frustrated with the the strangeness of the rules. There's a, there's a couple examples. <clears throat> For example, um, if you're playing D and D, then somebody has Windwalk. The players can go 300 feet per second, so it makes it really difficult to GM because you have to try to constantly think, okay, what, what is the next thing? What is the next thing? They're going so fast. <clears throat> or, for example, in D&D, a thief can be an expert in Arcana, but a wizard isn't, and that doesn't really make sense because the wizard should be better, but the thief isn't. Another example, in D&D, <clears throat> you can't really make a barbarian who's really good at you know, doing tricks like a feint attack or a trip attack. You have to put all these feet feet points into it which it's just you can't really do that so the dnd has these sort of counterintuitive restrictions to it but stars and numbers a lot simpler you can generally just do things the fighter is almost always going to be the best at fighting um the psychic can cast spells pretty straightforward um each of those um 
cost uh, spell points, which I found to be a lot more intuitive and simpler than the so-called Vancian spell slot. Um, since SCBN isn't perfect, I did find that like the rule for special attacks, like grappling or disarming enemies, wasn't totally intuitive. So I generally household that to just use instead the rule from Dungeon Crawl Classics, which is if you hit your attack, you can just do any sort of special attack. Very simple, very easy to, to use, and straightforward. So uh, yes, Stars and Ember does not have a lot of complex modifiers. Like the most complex thing you would do is just add... You roll 2d6, add a statistic and a skill, that's it. Very simple. So, I mean, it, and even that, his change for handling the one complex thing that felt like it was off, yeah. fits within the system. It really it's, does. It's just, a, it's just a scale back, like, yeah, you hit him, go ahead, what do you want to do? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with everything he said, especially especially his critiques of, uh, of, of, of D&D, and, or especially earlier iterations of it. Where, yeah. Um. And and yeah, I mean it, it's it it feels like uh, this is why I think a lot of the a lot of the, the time it, when I was reading over it, it felt like Savage Worlds to me because mm-hmm. since the numbers were so low and the the rules to adjudicate things were so streamlined that it felt like uh, yeah, add a plus one to that yeah was was a big deal mm-hmm. you know so like you're you don't you're not looking at huge modifiers and giant numbers and stuff of like that it's it's just like oh yeah uh you got a favorable circumstance here you're you got the drop on the guy uh i don't know add add, add one to your roll mm-hmm. cool yeah you know um and, and it's not that huge of a deal just to be able to like yeah you push him back five feet cool yeah stepping away from the mechanics mm-hmm. there's a huge section of the book that's devoted toward world building and adventure building and i find it fascinating it is Larger than any section I've seen in other books oh, that discusses yeah. not just how to build worlds, but gives you very, very qualifying tool sets to help you with oh, that. Oh, it it's it's like two thirds of the book. Yeah. And I only have the time to skim it. It's really. beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. So within the sector creation, it walks you through in, in not just like steps, mm-hmm. but also in very plain terms. Like, hey... We're going to start with a universe, right? So I want you to just lay out a, a grid map. And the first thing we're going to do, we're just going to put some stars down. So, you know, roll some dice. That'll tell you the stars. That'll tell you, you know, based upon this, we'll help you put them in sectors. You don't even have to think. There they are. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to go to one of those stars. And now we're going to put planets in. You mean physically roll the dice in where yeah. they land on the paper. Correct. Put a dot. Correct. Yes. So then, and then after that, you're like, okay, we got that. Now let's put, let's put two planets there. Mm-hmm. So... You can you can pick or you can roll, but there's a whole listing of the types of planets. What is this a mining colony? Is this AI? Are these hostile aliens? Is, and it's all listed. There's a chart for it. I'm seeing a little bit of Bob Ross going on here. Oh, too. so much. Let's, let's put a little planet here. Let's uh, let's give him a friend. But beyond that, <laughs> no, it's then, a binary star. Like if this is a if this is a <laughs> mining planet, there's also four details that is scripted for each one of the mining planets to talk about the enemies. Mm-hmm. the friends the type of situations that are there and and what types of uh of locations what kind of exploration you might find there yeah. and they're just descriptive terms to help spur your mind about what you might find at those locations yeah absolutely uh there was a uh so uh, uh charles made mention and uh uh, uh 
of a website that does all this for you, actually. There's there's two, technically. There's yeah. two of them. Um, yeah. One of the, the, the main one I saw was Sectors Without Number. Yes. And that's just sectorswithoutnumber.com. Yeah. Um, and you can uh, – basically, it, it has all of these rules programmed into it, mm-hmm. and you basically just go – Give me a sector. And it goes, okay, wham, and spits out a whole hex map of you folks yep. following all these rules. And you can drill down to, like, this this system over here has these three planets. Mm-hmm. They're like this. They've mm-hmm. got this going on on them. Does it include the factions? I think so, yeah. That's fantastic. Like, it puts all the tags on them. That is like super that. fantastic. Because um, faction creation is the whole next thing. Before before we even got, like, to talking to Charles, like, earlier this afternoon, Sean was doing some <laughs> digging. And he was like, hey, check this out. And I'm like, oh, I'm putting that in the sheet. Yep. <laughs> So, and then beyond that, it, like, so now you've got your, your planets and everything, people can explore them. Yeah. Then you've got this faction creation, mm-hmm. which kind of is its own mini game for the GM in its own way. I didn't so, get too much into that one. So effectively, the way that it works is you build up these factions, but then they have needs and you can play with those needs with your table. So now you don't necessarily have to think about like, well, what does this evil leader, you know, what does this mega corporation needs? Food. It, it's right there. They, they need food. It's listed. They're starving. Yeah. They need food. Yeah. And now once they get that, what's the next thing? Oh, is this do that, something to this other faction? How do they level it out? And like all of that's in there. Uh-huh. But what I love about all of this section and, and, and even like the tables for creating NPCs and monsters and stuff to make it on the fly that easy for you is that also embedded in all of this is how to make an adventure at its basic levels, the things that we teach in this. Mm-hmm. You know, how to make an adventure, what it means to have hooks, why, what is the basic components that you need, how to not build too much and let your players find things, and then once they're there, here's the challenge. Yeah. Here are the NPCs discussing yeah. that challenge. And just to sit back and have a broader view, and I thought, this this isn't common in books, you have to go someplace to read. You have to read from, you know, how to be a great GM or, you know, the, the way Seth discusses stuff and some of the other writers to go find their books on how to be a good GM. Mm-hmm. And this book is teaching you how to play its game mechanically and through role play. And narratively. Yep. And I love that. I yeah. absolutely love that. Absolutely. That makes that made me more excited than anything else to be able to read those. And for, for me, like, I, I dislike sandbox games in general, simply because sure. I because I, I find them, first off, I find them exhausting to run because I have to write all this stuff. And I find them, you know, exhausting to run from the standpoint of... Uh, you know, oh, you can go anywhere and do anything. Well, that that's that's great. Now I have to write everything and everywhere, you know? Well, it also doesn't feel like a story. It feels like I'm waiting for the story as right. much as the players are. Right, but, like, it felt like this is the one instance where I've found where I was, like, excited to, to, to get into a sandbox, you know? Because it put all the tools in my hand to quickly and easily make interesting um, and story-laden things yeah. to put in my sandbox yeah. that that immediately beg the question of ooh what's that why is that so it's here here I got another one we're going back to the cooking reference uh-huh. right your friends are going to come over for dinner hey what are we having for dinner and you're like shit whatever you want and then now everybody's guessing and yeah. it's whatever the difference is is that now you have a fridge that gets stocked by a gourmet chef once a week. So when your friends ask, what do you want for dinner? You open the fridge and go, 
oh my god, look at all the crap I've got to play with. You may not know what's going to be in there until you right. open it up, but it's all good. And now you're excited to yeah. make something. And it's that's all the very difference. complex flavors. And, I, yeah. I love that. And, I, and that now you can add your own spices that yeah. you have. But you've got this whole meat and potatoes waiting for you that's it given every table nicely for you. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so you wanted to talk about old school Renaissance and kind of the character generation is a good way to step into that, I think. Yeah, uh, the character creation, I think, was like, first off, like, the character creation is very front loaded in the game, in, yes. in, in, in the book. It's like, Get hi, it this is Stars Without Number, page two, character creation. Um, I mean, I. Th- it may even be that quick. It may even be like page three character creation starts on something like that, but it's, it's super front loaded in the book. Um, but, uh, it does take a brief moment to talk about how it, this is, this is an OSR game. And so it's very, um, it encourages you a lot to roll your stats like old school, randomly roll. roll your skills and, and look at what you've got between stats and skills and stuff like that, and then figure out what your character class is going to be. And they still have the standard array, which is fine. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. They've got options where you can choose things if you want to handpick your character. But sure. There's there's kind of a um, a uh, a request and an urge at the mm-hmm. beginning of, of the character creation to just, you know, maybe maybe try rolling. Yeah. Like, they, they understand that it's become very in vogue to handcraft your character and make this, like, optimal, streamlined machine that does mm-hmm. the thing that you want them to do. But um, they're like, you know, maybe just kind of in the spirit of this game, since it is kind of uh, an exploration, a sandbox, a a very um, open world where anything can happen, maybe just roll your stats and see what you get. Yeah. And maybe just play with them. And... The stats aren't so punishing that if no. you do roll a bad batch of stats that your character's going to be useless, sure. you know? You may not be good at everything, but nobody is. Right, right. But maybe just give it a shot. Yeah, and I, I honestly would lean into it for this system specifically. Yeah, yeah, I would, I, for, for this game, I would be willing to. I, I'm yeah. hardcore against rolling stats, but this, this has almost got me convinced. So, stats, you choose a background which gives you a skill. Free skill at zero. Well, first off, it's three d six to roll your stats. Right, right, right. If you or roll array. your, if you if if you roll them though and you, don't go array, you get to replace one with a fourteen, which is great. Which is great. Yeah, yeah. You get a free good stat. It's yeah. not great. It's good. No, it's good. It's good. Um, get choose, the back. Choose yeah. a background. Yep, background. Uh, that gives you a free skill that starts at zero. Mm-hmm. Um, and the backgrounds are very much like uh, like Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition. A lot of like yeah. you know a soldier, or a barbarian from a from a backwater planet, or a pilot, or a whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. You either roll or pick your skills that are related to your background. So your background will have a list. Mm-hmm. You'll get a free skill right off the bat. Yep. But then there's kind of a list that of like growth and learning, I believe they are. Okay. Um, you can either choose stuff off of the learning or you can roll anywhere but uh, three times between the growth and learning charts. And even up on the growth charts, there's stat increases. So you may not get a skill, but you might get a plus two to your dexterity. You know, um, and, uh, there's also a set of, uh, qu- what are they call quick skills, um, which are basically three skills that are essentially iconic to that background. Mm-hmm. Um, so would be, you know, your most typical skills. So if you're looking for just quick character creation, yeah, you just grab those three skills. Yep. Boom. yep. Or, or if you're uncertain, sure, which one sure, sure. Uh, you then have classes. 
Yep. So you've got your... It's in at there. this point you pick your class. Right. Which is just warrior, expert, psychic, or adventurer. Mm-hmm. You know, a warrior is combat focused. They've got the extra HP. They've got a higher attack bonus. They can negate hits uh, or guarantee hits. Uh, so they're, they're very fighty. That's what they do. Yeah. But that's it. Mm-hmm. But that's it. That's the whole thing of being a warrior. You don't get extra weapon proficiencies and weird feats and power attacks. And it's just, no, you get to... Yeah. Either guarantee and or negate a hit. Yeah. And then you have an expert who is a skill expert. Mm-hmm. Now, they're not a jack of all trades. I mean, they could be, but they might be a pilot expert or they might be a scientific expert or an exploration expert. And so the whole idea is, is that you're you're jacking yourself into skills. Mm-hmm. You're pushing that edge of things. Um, you get your non-combat focus. You get to re-roll failed skill checks. You gain bonus points. Um, at level up. So it's, it, the whole idea is, is that you are that, uh, educated, intelligent or witty person who, who has that skill base. You're good at things that aren't fighting as opposed to the warrior. Who's good at things that are fighting. Yep. 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 And again, that's it. Uh, your psychic class Mm -hmm. is (laughs) very simple. You get access to psychic abilities. Wizard, you know, (laughs) you don't get any of the bonus skill points. You get into the bonus HP. You don't get any way. Just nope. Your, your bonus is. Congratulations, you're psychic. You might be able to teleport. And honestly, that's enough. You might be able to teleport. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, and then you have Adventurer, which is not a class class. Yeah, it's the not a class class. It's it's the I want to do more than one thing class. And mm-hmm. that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But basically what it comes down to, do you want to do a little warrior? Do you want to do a little psychic? You, you, or, you know, it's, it's the, I'm at uh, the Pizza Hut, yeah. I'm at the Taco Bell, I'm at the combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. <laughs> well, it's the, uh, it's the warrior, expert, and psychic pick two. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, and, and that's the rule is that you, you don't get the third, but you could have a bit of the others and that's kind of cool. It's, it's like, it's like dating hot, sane, single pick, pick two. two. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then you have uh foci, which are, I guess like edges and feats. They're yeah. tricks. I mean, there's a, there's all kinds of words for those things. Yeah, they're, but but they're your they're your kind of like little special abilities that you only get a handful of that are neat tricks your character can do. Yep. Um, the cool thing about these is that uh, they have different uh, different levels to them. Okay. Um, and so uh, like the uh, the expert starts out with a free non combat focus, right? Mm-hmm. So then during character creation, you get to choose a focus, yeah. which can be the same one you chose as an expert. So you could start your expert with a level two focus. Sure. And it's the same thing for the warrior. You get a combat based focus. You could take a level two. And you combat. can stack that with your free one at the beginning here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you've got you, you, it seems like you're very generic up until this point. Your foci is your ability to kind of break out of that a little bit and have a neat thing that's yours. Yeah, like you could take it uh, either way where you become a master of what you're doing mm-hmm. and, and be hard focused or a second career or 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 like a strong hobby, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely. Uh, you get a free skill. I love that. I just, love that they just, just throw take a free, free skill. skill. Any yeah. skill. Yeah. At, at level zero, yeah. um, you, your character has outside interests. Mm-hmm. You're not just your career. Yep, yep. And um, then your equipment package, which is pretty standard, bundled for your convenience. Sure. Yeah, why not? Why not? And then uh, you figure out your drive stuff. Your you're HP, your derived. Saving throws. Yeah. yeah, it's uh, HP, your saving throws, uh, your uh, effort points. Yes, I think that's about it. I think that's it. I mean, it's pretty simple. It's really we're probably overthinking yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, dead honest. 
Um, so that's that's it. That's all of it. Like you, uh, basically roll stats, pick a couple things, and you're done. Yeah, yeah. And so when we talk about the gameplay of this, we're talking about the fact that it is uh, one of the quotes that I love is that there is no narrative currency a player can spend to avert disaster. Now, see, when we were talking about this earlier, you said, "Now that's magic." I said, "No, no, no. That's fate points." That's bennies. Yeah. That's drama tokens. There's yeah. no narrative currency. Correct. You can't say, mm, I'm going to spend this thing and take a mulligan. My, my brain saw native, not narrative, mm, originally, yes, 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 which yes. I, I guess applies in a way, but I think, yes, the narrative tokens are gone. They just don't exist. They just don't exist. Yeah. Um, so it's it's very, this is kind of where the core of that whole like mm-hmm. OSR gameplay comes in, is it, it uh, it's the dice at the table and that's it. That's what you get, you know? Mm-hmm. Um. And and you just have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. If if your character dies, like okay, I'm sorry. That's that's but that's what happened. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think you know it's that's a little out of almost out of scope for for you and I. We're we're we've both become very accustomed to a very heroic, very narrative, very fail forward. Yes. Um, succeed with consequence, sort of sort of gameplay that focuses very heavily on the continuation of character stories rather than the consequence of action or inaction. And, and that's where I think this, in, in, and if I'm going to butt two worlds and mirror them, mm-hmm. this feels a lot like Aeon Society Adventure without that dramatic editing. In, in that sense, in the narrative sense, that it, it's, it's the harsh reality of what that could have turned into. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, because it's, there's some parallels there with the psychic power and the alteration of people and the the destruction therein that comes with it. You take the pulp out of pulp, and this is what you get. Yeah, I mean that's the truth. Mm-hmm. Wait a second, is this like the non-pulp orange juice? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, it is. Um, but in, in, but that's the thing is like the PCs are positioned as protagonists, but the rules don't care if they live or die. And I think that's that's like the the, the key thing here is getting back to that that OSR sort of dungeon crawling, where it's almost like the 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 players themselves are being tested almost as much, if not more, than their characters are. Like the characters are just kind of extensions of them. Um, and I'm sure you've got story and narrative that goes on. Like I'm I'm, I'm not saying there isn't role play, but um. Uh, you're you're not really elevated that much over regular people. Yeah, you're not invincible. In yeah. no way are you invincible. Your hit points are too low. Like literally, even at a decent level, a, a good couple laser shots from somebody, and you're going down. Like they're they're very straightforward about that. Like mm. uh, hit points are not that high. A decent beast will wreck your face. Absolutely. Uh, very Absolutely. quickly. So you're making other decisions to try and stop things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in that sense, it takes it from a every every problem looks like a nail, especially when you know you know you've got one warrior in mm-hmm. the class, really. He's the only one that everything looks like a nail to. And even he knows when to run. Yeah, I wouldn't even say everything looks like a nail. I would just say he's the most efficient hammer-shaped thing you've got in your toolbox. Right. Like, there, nothing in here screams, I'm going to charge the, you know, the, the, the Xeno monster. 
right. that, that's eating our spaceship. No, you, you might hold your ground against it to, to, to make sure everyone else can get back to the ship. Yeah. But that's it. Yeah. Otherwise, you're you're wrecked. Yeah, everybody's everybody's squishy. Nobody is a god amongst yeah. men here. I mean, and, and it does talk about the difference between heroic and not. And if you mm-hmm. do want to play heroic... That's up to the storyteller to try and evoke that. Yeah, there's there's some optional rules, and they're, like, way back, like, literally the last 20 pages of the book sort of thing. They're yeah. like, yeah, you could play heroic if you want. Here's some optional rules. Yeah. But it but uh, but understands it, it fundamentally shifts the power, so the power balance in the game if you mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. And here's some notes on how to deal with that. Yeah, which is beautiful. Again, yeah. I mean, some of those notes are actually probably pretty great notes for other games. Sure, sure. Um, I, I highly recommend. I, mean, I will say, reading the adventure section of this book on how to craft an adventure and some of the DM stuff gives some fantastic insight, not only on the creator, but their experience with handling role-playing games in general. Mm-hmm, and and mm-hmm. that storytelling, those storytelling aspects. I've, I've got to hand it to Kevin for that. It's yeah. it's really well done. Yeah, excellent. Um. What's interesting is is that I was talking with uh, – when I, I brought this up with Charles and I, I kind of wanted to talk about the power curve, uh, he kind of had some feelings about that. I want to I want to squeeze that in right here. And sure, sure. I'd love to hear. Bizarre games tend to have levels like modern D&D, and they tend to give you more hit points per level. So once you get past a, a certain level, is it can get really hard to, to kill you because you have so many hit points. It doesn't matter what people throw at you. You just like – you just kind of shrug and say, "Ah, eh, I got hit points." Bullets, but um, it's deadly at the beginning, you know, in the early levels. But then, then it gets you get pretty strong towards the end. <clears throat> in terms of the overall power level, I would call it about half a power level of a typical D and D, because you know, by the time you get to the high level, uh, the fighters are great. But if you're facing down, let's say, squad of, of seven enemy demonic space brains they're still they can probably still kill you unless unless you you make a uh, a good preparation or ambush or something and um, the other comment i like to make that in the sense that it is more deadly and people do have less hit points in, than the basic D that actually translates into less violence which i'm not sure if it's expected or not but i thought it was pretty cool <clears throat> i mean i love the the tactical combat parts of these games but I find that I really love the story even more. So when, if if the prospect of just fighting somebody is probably going to kill you, then that actually encourages people to explore more. Maybe there's a way around. Maybe there's a teleporter. Maybe we can negotiate. Maybe we can trade. It inspires people to think of more creative solutions to problems. <clears throat> so if you're playing as a scientist investigating some strange readings on a on a a dark planet and some horrifying monster appears, are you going to immediately reach for your rifle? Well, maybe that's not the best solution. Maybe in this game, because you know that's probably not going to work out great, you might try to use your translator uh, device. You might try to use a hologram projector or a zoology skills or try to try to, you know, back away slowly, try to handle the situation in, in a whole, in a whole diverse variety of different ways. So in OSR games, less hit points can often mean that violence is sort of an option, but you, you're encouraged to consider other options as well, especially with stars that numbers focus on skill point building. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It, that whole thought of, like, removing combat. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I literally had a discussion with uh, Vicky about this, that combat creates a stall to the narrative every time. 
I don't care what kind of an adventure it is. The combat itself does not continue the narrative. It only creates conflict. Maybe at the end of that combat, it might do something for the narrative, but it still creates conflict. It doesn't really create resolution. Yeah, it yeah. delays the it delays the resolution of anything that you're working on. And in the case of D and D, we've seen this time and time again. Physically running combat in a tactical game delays the narrative by hours. By hours, yeah, absolutely, without a doubt. So any time that you can narratively accelerate the process and or handle it in a different way, you're pushing the narrative. You're yeah. adding to the narrative. Yeah. And adding to the drama of the situation versus just stalling everything dead and having maybe one or two players involved in something while everyone else is just waiting around. Well, aside from the fact that it, it also rewards that style of gameplay mm-hmm. and therefore incentivizes, like, you know, I'm, I'm big, uh, a big proponent of the idea that games teach you how to play them. Very much so. You know, and so if... If you've got only one warrior class and everybody else is non-combatant, even your psychics are more utility than they are combat, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you you have to make non-combat stuff a viable option. And mm-hmm. it sounds like it really does. <coughs> um that you know, fighting fighting just doesn't work out for you. But the conver- the, the other side of the, of combat doesn't work out for you has to be alternate solutions and skill based characters do work out for you. Right, right, and that's and I because this game leans heavily into skills. Mm-hmm. It diversifies that you've got effectively uh, out of the balance of the three because really mm-hmm. it's three classes. Yeah, you know, two more than half, two thirds of them aren't combat they're not there for combat yeah absolutely so that already tells you where that lean is but it's all all of those are based hard on skills Mm -hmm. all of them and i think that's that is the telling of this story that is that is the the explanation of it and even the warrior class that is there for the combat isn't so into the combat that he becomes removed from the skills right he's just your good combat backup yeah you know yeah exactly exactly it's it is the true opposite of D&D, where every class must do combat, and therefore some of them don't do it nearly as well, but they all have combat, but everybody's got the same skills. Yeah, yeah. You and know. everybody does the combat, it's just which flavor of hammer do you want to, ba- to, 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 to bang in all these nails. Right. Uh, yeah. And now you have bland skill base as well. Right, so. and you, you've, got, you've got tropes like the big dumb fighter that always come true because you literally can't make an intelligent fighter because you've got dump stats because you have to min max your right. strength and your con and your decks but at the know. same time he's not just a big dumb fighter in in D because he's got like f- every single one of the athletic skills at a degree where he's now a gymnast as well right 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 you know and it's like okay w- what are we doing here so mm-hmm. this diversifies that and yes. i think it it helps make the story and people less heroic and more realistic yeah we're we're, we're yeah. getting that ver, ver, verisimilitude thank you um kind of we're reconnecting with it a little bit more mm-hmm. but still it's about story yeah absolutely so absolutely um i kind of want to jump 
through advancement so we can get to our closing costs and the questions because I, I don't want to push too late for this one. Sure, 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 sure. And, and get stuck in the weeds that we don't need to be in. I, I, I want to list off, just before we get into advancement, I want to list off just a couple of the uh, like the, the stuff that is in the like the optional rules. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And yeah. Kind of that isn't in the system world building stuff that I found yeah. was very interesting. Sure. Um, there are rules for cyberware. Which I think is great. They said that it's rare and expensive, but it is there. Which is funny because this game is a predecessor of a previous game that was all cyberpunk yeah so you 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 can see that blend where you know this may be several thousand years in the future from that but it still kind of exists But it's still there (laughs) uh there is uh, a a big section on pre-tech artifacts uh, which are all these like basically your magic items essentially yeah um uh, pre-tech is like you're you're like we will never get this technology back sort of stuff yeah um uh rules like we said for heroic characters Mm -hmm. in there um, if you've got the deluxe edition, there's rules for uh, AI and non-human characters, like Xeno's characters. Yeah, and and there's uh, d- transfers, mental uh, 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 brain transfers, basically, that yep. you can have in that and all kinds of stuff. Yep. Uh, there's an extensive se- section there, because this is a spacefaring mm-hmm. game. Uh, it, it goes without saying there's going to be a, a huge section in here on ship creation, maintenance, operation. Operation is similar to the way that... Um, uh, that Traveler handled it, where everyone has a station. Yes. So everybody's involved in it, and I yes. loved that. I thought that was very well done. Uh, they talk a little more in that section, too, mm-hmm. about how the spike drives work yep. and stuff like that as yep. well, so you get a little more uh, uh, in-depth in that. Um, r- rules then, likewise, for the rules of uh, multi uh, meta-dimensional travel yeah. around meta, the sector. Yes, yes. Uh, meta-dimensional. Um, and then, uh, you know, again, getting into, like, not only the sector, but cre- getting down to the nitty-gritty of creating planets with their atmospheres, their gravity, the geography, mm-hmm. the factions yep. that are on them. Um, complicated factors i saw one of the things like there was a a, a d100 uh thing of like what's what's the weird thing that's on this planet and like double ot was uh zombies yeah <laughs> it's, it's it's a possibility it's, it's on there yep yep uh, i think one of the uh, other ones kind of reminded me of like ancient alien pyramids yes you know and it was yes. like again it's just those fun things that sure. you can just throw in who knows why it's there you can come up with any great story as to yep. why like 700 years ago that was a thing mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, all right. Advancement, uh, advancement was cool, actually. Yeah, it's, for this, it's, it, it, it makes just sense. It clicks very clean. It's super clean and super light. And, like, I, I, you know me, I hate class-based, level-based games. But this, I can, for, I can forgive this one. But this works. I can absolutely forgive this one. So, your XP curve is very, very low. Mm-hmm. You're going to be earning XP by, like, the single point, not mm-hmm. the hundreds or thousands like you will in D&D. Mm-hmm. Um... It takes like three XP to make it level to level two, six XP to make it to level three. No, nope. so that's the that's the scale we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, as far as how you earn XP, mm-hmm. again, this is another place where that sort of OSR, that truly sandbox experience, comes into play because it's like, uh, yeah, we're not going to tell you what qualifies as earning XP. That's up to your storyteller. Yeah. What style of game are they running? What's the goals for your characters? What's going on in your sector? Right. Are you are you achieving a a a point of reference within the story, like, mm-hmm. oh, we were able to unite the clans. Excellent. Everybody gets an XP. Cool, that's some XP. Is this a story I'm telling about recovering lost artifacts from a uh, from an ancient civilization? You get one XP for every artifact you bring back. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. 
Or here's a job list. Like, literally, you guys are a bunch of truckers. Yep, this you know? job is worth two, this job is worth three, this job is easy, it's only worth one. Yeah, I mean, you might also get some other stuff with it, Yeah, but, like, literally lay it out. Let yeah. the players know where their points are. But it, but it does not tell you. Nope. It outright says, like, it could be anything, it's up to your storyteller, they'll let you know what earns XP. Yeah. Um, when you uh, when you go up a level, um, very simple, additional HP. Yep, straight up. And I really liked how that got rolled. Yeah. You take a D6... For every level your character has, mm-hmm. add your con modifier to each die. Mm-hmm. So if your con modifier is plus one, you're rolling 3d6, it's 3d6 plus three. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you roll that. And if it is higher than your current hit point total, that's congrats. your new total. That's your new total. If it's not, you get plus one to your old total. So you'll always gain something. Right. But this isn't a system where you're guaranteed to go up by like five or six hit points every single time you level, yep. you might get a real crap roll and mm-hmm. just get nothing out of it. Yeah. Now, granted, if you're a warrior or a partial warrior, it goes up a little higher. goes up a little bit more, yeah. But, you get a little bonus to it. But yep, yep. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, we're not we're not talking about making bullet sponges here like we do in... Uh, no, and if you TV. roll really well, you may never get an upgrade for a while. Yeah. So... Yeah, exactly. Um, You've got your... your uh, Improve your attack bonus, mm-hmm. so it's half of your character level rounded down. Yep. Uh, warriors great. get their full character level. Partial warriors just added little bonuses here Plus along one, the way. Yeah. And then saving throws drop by one every level, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you get three skill points. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the cool thing with skill points is you can bank them. Which I think is fantastic. And you you need to, actually, at higher levels mm-hmm. because it can, get, it, like, can you start getting your skills up into like level four and level five and stuff like that. It starts taking a lot of skill points to yeah. do that. Yeah. So you actually have to bank them to get those higher levels. Um if you are an expert, you get extra skill points. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. If you're a psychic, you must spend at least one skill point on your psychic stuff. That's that's fantastic. Um, you can spend it on either learning a new uh, category mm-hmm. or getting another, um, what do they call them, a technique, uh, technique yeah. uh, from within, basically a power from within the subsets. Yep, yep. Uh, you can boost attributes. Boost attributes, yep. And increase existing skills. Um, and new foci. That was the other one that was, yeah, I was well, trying to two, five, seven, and ten. You get uh, a focus point basically yep. that you can spend along the way. Yeah. So again, relatively simple. Much like Seven um, uh, C does, you could literally write this on the edge of the character sheet. Yeah, all of this info. It's yeah. simple. Yep, little six point text and footnote at mm-hmm. the bottom. And and you've got your entire leveling up. I mean, e- eat your heart out to pretty much a lot any number of other systems where you have to return to a book to go searching for it or go online. You know. To, to, to pull up the information that you need to try and get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 I like that. I like that that blend of where that pushes. Yeah, absolutely. I want to real quick um, uh, diverge just to slow before we go into our closing thoughts here. Sure. Uh, Hulu, who actually asked an, uh, a really good question in the, uh, in the live chat sure. here. Uh, he asks, uh, do you think it would be more heroic since there is actual danger? Can you truly be heroic if you can one-shot a beholder? Um, like, with the lower power curve, does that make your achievements greater in contrast? Because oh, you don't have the godlike power of a full-blown D&D character. 100% I agree with the statement that you are more heroic. I definitely think the table would feel like... Th- it's that whole, like, we're level one and we just did something epic. Oh, yeah. It's that yeah. feeling every time you do something. Uh, for me, this is the same. It's it. This is uh, very reminiscent to the feel I get out of Dark Souls. Okay, and you've played a little Dark Souls I with have. me, so you see, so you know that feeling of like, 
I can't believe we just did that. Yeah. And uh, because you have to earn that victory, because you do have to claw for it, and because those fights aren't aren't handed to you. Right. And sometimes it's not always clear, like, what the attack patterns are and what the special abilities of the boss yeah. are and stuff like that. When you do get that victory, you you feel amazing. Yeah. I looked at this and that feeling and saw the expanse. Yeah. I was watching through as I was going through this. I could feel the level of the expanse. Real people in tough situations making snap decisions and barely coming out on top and sometimes with great losses. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's what this is. That's It's heroism in the term. Mm-hmm. But when we talk about heroic games, we're talking about heroes that are greater than everything, almost superheroes. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's really where, where that term comes from in my mind frame. But yeah, this would make the players feel heroic, that they did something incredible. Yes, absolutely. And absolutely. I, I, you got a lot yes. more potential for zeros to heroes here because you didn't, you weren't uh, character created with a silver spoon in your in your character sheet. You know? Exactly, exactly. So, all right. I, I kind of want to open up what things do well with Charles's commentary uh just because he touches a lot of points and uh I I think that it uh I think we can follow up with it yeah, pretty easily away. so I'll, I'll give him the floor to start with Number one and most unique thing about it is it just has amazing G, uh, game master tools uh there's tons of of cool tables and guides on how to create interesting planets with interesting social problems and conflicts and, and missions and playable content. It has a bunch of expansion packs as well that also add tons and tons and tons more. There's the Other Dust expansion for post-apocalyptic worlds. There's the Sons of Gold expansion for creating a campaign about, about trading and building a merchant empire. Uh, there's, there's a really cool expansion I, I have like a lot called the Dead Names, which tells you uh, tons of awesome tables for creating lost races and forgotten ruins. So there's just so much, so much good advice for building your own universe and and worlds and politics stuff. It's really cool. Um, putting that aside, it's really good, as I mentioned above, at uh, creating like a fast, fun, very broad, very easily easy to jump in a sci-fi experience. Um, you can do combat if you want. Uh, you can focus on negotiation. It's very flexible. You can do cyberpunk. It works great for cyberpunk. It works great for space opera. You know, you can have a a laser, a lightsaber, and, uh, you know, your psychics. So you got that to do a Star Wars type thing. It's very flexible, and it's very fast to play. <clears throat> but the best part is that when you have those those excellent resources, you don't even need to use the uh, the stars and number rules if you prefer another one. You can just take those awesome planet generators, or you can take the basic rules and tweak them however you like and, and make it your own. And it really encourages you to make it your own, too, which I think is a wonderful Sean was talking about doing with yeah. uh, he's he's gonna be running that uh, Savage Worlds game. He's like I'm absolutely using uh, systems without number oh. to build. Oh, one hundred percent. I was gonna literally say like Sean, this, it'd be foolish not to do this if we got like jumped into something. Boom. Oh no no, no no no. Well, well, welcome to yesterday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, excellent, <laughs> excellent. I'm glad. But I mean, that's the whole thing is is that it does have one of the best toolkits uh-huh. for handling this kind of situation. It is. It is wonderful and simple, but so descriptive in its in its basis that it it hands you so much. Yeah, yeah. In yeah. just a nice section of the book. So for anyone, put this on your damn shelf. If you do any sci-fi or any place where you're doing exploration, just get a copy of this PDF, throw it on your shelf, and keep it there. You may you're gonna need it at some point. Yeah, like we, like I said, just just a reminder, it is free. Yeah, the, the the there's a free version of these rules on Drive Through RPG. Um, is no 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 barrier to entry on this one. Yeah, but on secondary, like, 
Go give Kevin some money. He's worth it. <laughs> oh, sure, sure, sure. If you've got the 20 bucks to spare, go go right for it. Yeah, um, yeah it, it, the, the biggest thing for me is that this is a streamlined and uh, uh, expansive set of rules for making space sandboxes. Totally. I mean, that it, it is... Accessible space it's sandboxes. It's a machine for making that. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And so if the words space sandbox being next to each other in a sentence together sends shivers down your spine, Stars Without Number is a must-have. Yeah, yeah. I, and... I will say that this game's ability to go from uh, from gritty players who are dealing with a challenge to heroic PCs is literally a single mechanic switch. Yeah, yeah. It's a wonderful, easy, accessible thing. If you find that your players, you want to do a heroic space opera, you want to do Star Wars, mm-hmm. right? But you don't want to crack open the Star Wars rules, you want to give some people some access, and you want people to feel like they have a position. You could easily use these rules and add one mechanic and make it a heroic story. I don't even know if you need to add a mechanic to it, honestly. Um, I don't think you need to, but I think but you, can. you could. Yeah, you, you could can. very easily do it, you especially can. if you wanted to have like a bit more, have it be a bit more combat-like. You and know? that's the thing actually, I think I like, actually, is, 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 like I said, as much as it's a departure from my typical thing, like uh, I like the OSR feel of it. Mm-hmm. I kind of like that space doesn't give a crap about your characters. <laughs> and yes. uh, like you will need to come up with interesting solutions for interesting problems on a day. Uh, and it's just going to test your metal against it. Mm-hmm. Um, and every single tumble of the dice is going to tell a new story yeah. rather than, you know, failing forward with drama dice. Yeah, it it is. Excuse me. Uh, it is a really great layout for, uh, as far as a book for creation of worlds, the settings, the adventures, just all of the good information there for a storyteller is amazing. You don't need a DM's guide. This is your guide. That is the DM's guide. And yeah. I, it's all there, and it's done in such a beautiful way that the the setting is simplistic mm-hmm. because it's designed to be. Yeah. It's designed to hand you an idea and then say, okay, here you go. Now go play. Absolutely. And here's how to play. You know, it's rare that we're taught how to be creative and given some some base things. This is a great this is probably one of the best books that has done that. And that uh and, and in the, the, the idea of just go play, the the rules have just enough crunch and complexity, I think, to, to scratch that itch for some people. But um Honestly, they're they're definitely on my side of quick and simplistic. Way, way, yeah. Uh, and so uh, I, I think I think they're, they they strike a happy medium for a lot of people. I think. Yeah, yeah. I I agree. I agree. Um. All right. So where where do we? Where, yeah. Where do we think? Uh, where do we think stars without numbers foibles are? So I'm going to do the reverse here. I'm going to let Charles have the final word on this one because um, I think he he does some good points in there Absolutely. that we miss. And Absolutely. I, I think he'll appreciate this. Um. It does feel, for those who are used to classes and definitions to help define their character, it does feel a little generic. That your players, you're, you're, you have to add the flair as the PC. Yeah. It puts a lot of weight on the PCs becoming part of the narrative and building their character to be a narrative character. So as a storyteller who's in a session zero trying to help a, a, a person who doesn't have a lot of creativity at that moment in time or maybe can't really think of a concept it can be a struggle because that's kind of a dependency now granted there are tables to help you and there's some quick start things to help you but it's really dependent on the 
PC to do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and without a lot of like really flashy and flavorful, you know, uh, class abilities and and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, that like something like Dungeons and Dragons will hand you. Uh, keeping in mind that basically your character is just a dude. Yeah. You're either just a smart dude with skills, a tough dude with some fighting ability, maybe a, a smart dude with some psychic skills. Or a jack-of-all-trades dude that does a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. You're just a dude. Yeah. You know? And so it that, that can feel that can feel a little mundane. It can. It can. But I, I think, you know, as much as it is a, a detachment or, or, or a detract uh, from what we what a lot of people play, it opens a lot of doors. Right. And I think it's like, kind of like a hula who brought up earlier. Like, yeah. if, if, if trouncing, you know, the, 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 the space Xenos, you know, hive queen... Uh, as a as the grand warrior, you know, uh, power armored space marine. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm sure that feels good, but like trouncing it as just a dude mm-hmm. in a in a ship, mm-hmm. like wow, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the other thing that I think too is a lot of a lot of stars without numbers strengths also become its weaknesses in other areas because mm-hmm. it seems like it's a very specialized game. So. Um, you know, it only provides that heroic experience when using those optional rules. Other than that, you're going to be just a dude. Right. Um, things like psionic, cyberware, pre-tech, sci-tech, um, they're all rare and expensive and relatively toned down in scope. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they kind of become these mythical things. You may not get, like, the flaming sword of judgment, but you might get a nice laser rifle. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's, you're, it, you're, it, it's not loot-heavy. It's not uh, reward heavy. Yeah. But the rewards that you do get have a heavy impact, but they're not global. It's not like because everything isn't a hammer. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need a solution as a hammer. You don't have 10,000 variants of hammer. Yeah. You yeah, know, exactly. having something that's, you know, a uh, that's a pre-tech that the whole thing that the pre-tech thing does, which is amazing, is a food replicator. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Suddenly just radically changes the game. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and and it and not because there's like some kind of scarcity for food for you personally, but that narratively, holy god. I mean, it comes back in my mind to Firefly when Kaylee got tr- traded something for, for strawberries. strawberries. Yes. And just was was having an experience with them. Yeah. And, and shares them with other people so they're not just eating rice. What it you know what it reminds me of actually too is like in, in your D D game, my character walking around the desert people with a yeah. flask of uh of, water uh, flask of uh, infinite water. Yeah. What what do they call it? Uh, bottomless bottomless flask? I forgot what yeah. the name of it is, yeah. but yeah. Uh yeah. Yeah. Like, like how how great is that? All it does is make water. But we're in the desert, and these people haven't seen magic in a hundred years. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think I think all of that really weighs in. But I I, I want to let Charles have the the last word here on on falling short, and I think he kind of brings it around a little bit. It falls a little short in terms of the way that the the psychics work. It's very easy to use. I definitely like the spell point system better than the slot system. But the the, the lore says you know the psychic uh, spells are very dangerous and they can drive you insane. And that's great, but then when you actually play the game, it's very easy. There's no, there's basically no risk at all. You don't have to roll anything. It just kind of happens. So it doesn't. It feels very casual. <clears throat> um, so other games, for example, uh, tra- uh, Traveler or Cepheus, you will have to roll your skill for the the psychic uh, casting. And if you don't roll well, yeah, it doesn't happen, or something bad can happen. 
um, that that also applies to uh, Cepheus uh, Deluxe as well. Um, another another thing where it slightly falls short is it says it's clearly intended to make the fighter characters the best at fighting, and this is almost fully borne out by the rules. But some characters who get like some of the teleport skills can actually be a little better at, at melee fighting than the fighters. So I would tweak that to fix that. Another area where I don't think it works out perfectly is um, the saving throws. So the start of the number is basically the saving throw target is always fifteen, and you roll a d twenty and you just add level plus plus you know two or three based on what your stats are and the problem with that is once you get to level 10 you have basically a 75 percent chance of succeeding on every saving throw which makes it kind of hard to to create some sort of difference like is there like a rock falling on you or is like the entire moon falling on you, you know trying to create that those different sense of challenges yeah so i i felt that um his point for for sidekicks is true is that that burn that that doing torching the, to, torching yourself is a choice and pushing the need for that mm-hmm. becomes kind of challenging based upon the skill set that a psychic has you uh, that's where that's where things well if i can i can see it the, the thing is is that they they go out of their way to explain that psychics really only get away with being psychic nowadays because of vast amounts of training to to rein in their stuff right. and not torch themselves every time they do something right and so Telling me that I need to risk torching myself every single time I use a core class feature right. is a little like saying, okay, but but the warrior has to worry about shooting himself every time he pulls the trigger on his laser rifle. I, I, I agree well, with I've, you on I'm that. I'm trained on using this laser rifle. Oh, right, and I'm trained on using my psychics. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think where it comes into play in my mind is that they talk about the burn. They talk about the fact that the psychics are rare, mm-hmm. but the ones that do exist are very, very potent. I think it becomes more of a narrative choice that the psychics have a weight as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, I put wizards and magic as a weight in my D&D game, mm-hmm. you know, and you feel it every single time I'm playing and you talk about it through my narrative, like, why does everybody hate freaking magic and or not want it around? Oh, yeah, like, Ravana's getting real sick of that. <laughs> but, but that's the whole thing is, is that it creates a weight in the game that's palpable. Yeah. And that's narrative weight yeah, that's sure. happening. And you love messing with that narrative weight sure. whenever you can sure so i think that's one of the things that need to be that, that it's trying to express through um through the mechanics and through the discussion in the game is that there is this narrative weight of psionics mm-hmm. um and that's where that comes into play is where you don't want that but maybe that burn that torching isn't the players it's the other side torching mm-hmm. or doing something that creates a higher risk level. And that's where, you know, like you show up at a planet that, you know, and, and go to a facility that was, you know, that's that's got like, you know, five or six psychers who are working on concepts for a new gate, right? Mm-hmm. They're very powerful. And you get there and four of them are dead and two more are like severely physically injured and clearly show signs of major torching. And you're like, Oh, what are they doing here? Mm-hmm. Who's doing this? Like, why? Why are you choosing to torch? You know, yeah, kind of yeah, a thing. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's where I feel like that really comes in as a narrative part of the story. So, yeah, it's 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 definitely cool. All right, you want to hit some questions? Yeah, yeah. Let's hit some questions. All right, so we got two two really good questions. Uh, Knox in the box asks, uh, I keep seeing this Codex of the Black Sun part of the game that introduces a magic element into play, but I don't know where this fits in the history at all. Some people seem to just want to disregard it. What are your thought about mixing magic into what is essentially a sci-fi game? So, 
I don't see necessarily a problem with that uh, on the whole. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I, I feel that it's it, it's comfortable, you sure. know, um, because, again, it's just high fantasy. Mm-hmm. That's all we're talking about here is that you're taking it from a gritty sci-fi, questionably, because of the psionics. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that kind of takes that away and pushes it more toward high fantasy. Sure, there's no reason why you couldn't do this in high fantasy and do a Star Wars adventure. Yeah. Yeah, and have space dwarves and all kinds of stuff. Um, so I I don't necessarily, but again, it's not forced. It's an ad. It, it, it's a direction you can take. Yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. beauty. I of agree. It. I agree. I mean, if you're asking my personal opinion, no, I I wouldn't add it to this. I don't think it needs it. I think you've got psychics already, and I think that's that's close enough to magic that mm-hmm. uh, I I wouldn't I wouldn't feel like adding Codex of the Black Sun to add you know extensive magic rules would add anything to the narrative. No, personally, right. But again, like. Hey, no shade if you do. It's your game, man. It's your sector. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is, is what it uh, uh, directly opens up the door to is, do you want to play Warhammer 40k tabletop? I mean, maybe you do. Boom. There. Now you cover all your bases. Maybe you do. Boom. Now you have Cyanix and Magic. Yeah, Done. there you go. Problem's been solved. Excellent. You know, and I, I, I think that's great. Like, go, go run for yourself. It, it's yeah. fantastic that it's been added. For, for me personally, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that it would, it would, it would add anything to the, to the equation for me. And the other thing too is that, like, I, I like my sci-fi a little, um, a little harder sci-fi. I think. Yeah, yeah. You like expanse. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think I like the harder edge of sci-fi. Uh, not, not hard, hard sci-fi. Right. Like, I don't, I don't need Asimov levels. No, nope, but no. Um, some no. I don't think anybody really needs. But I, I would love an expanse game. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and I I think magic would would pull it out of would pull it back into science fantasy, and I'm not not interested. You know, in that. and and I think that like stuff like The Mandalorian mm-hmm. and and shows like that where you're you're skirting the edge of of that uh, high fantasy. You know, where high fantasy is something that is dropped in at specific plot points, but it's not the key to the story. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the kind of feel where that can get really cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, where it's like, oh, neat. That's a you know Jedi wonder what they do you know they'll kick right, your ass right. be careful you know because uh, some of them are good and some of them are bad we don't know you know and that's the whole thing is, is that you can put it in at those kind of elements and have a control for it without it being a mainstay in your story yeah absolutely you know um maybe the point of your story is figuring out why it's there yeah yeah uh overwatch asks uh most players can feel immediately at home in classic familiar fantasy settings with taverns and dungeons and such fairly effortlessly how do you bring a more exotic setting to life for the players? What can you do to make an alien world or a, the deck of a starship in the deep black of space feel like a real setting in a big part uh, of the camp and a big part of the campaign? Uh, for me, a lot of this a lot of this lies in just giving good, vivid descriptions of things, mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and use your tools if you can, uh, like. Uh, I'm gonna harken back to your D and D game. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it last weekend? Yeah, it was just the past weekend. Uh, yeah. You you had a really excellent scene where we went to the Elven Kingdom, which is a castle built up into a giant tree. Yes, and uh, you didn't have any music going in the background, and for like a hot second, I was a little I was a little disappointed. I was like, oh man, I was really hoping he was gonna have like some like sort of heroic or even like a creepy, mysterious thing going on because it's kind of a ghost town now. Mm-hmm. Um. What you did have was blowing wind and creaking tree limbs. Mm -hmm. And combined with the fact that we were in a castle that is essentially in a giant tree and that those creaking tree limbs instantly summoned up a a feeling in my mind of this, of like 
how big those limbs must be and they're mm-hmm. creaking and feeling an entire castle slightly swaying in the wind. Yep. And how how that would affect me and my senses and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I think especially if you were going to um try to put your players in the mindset, put them into the scene mm-hmm. of an alien world mm-hmm. or a spaceship Lean into your descriptors. Mm-hmm. Give a good, vivid description and lean into your tools, you know? Mm-hmm. Have the boops and beeps of a radar or, you know, something like that from... There's sci-fi soundtracks and whatnot in the back um, that you can that you can get. They're just literally soundtracks, yeah. you know, um, for the for the decks of starships. Or maybe wind swept across a, the, 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 the dusty Martian landscape or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Uh, anything you can do to draw them into that. Yeah. While you're while you're backing that up with your physical descriptions and whatnot, and just allow them to explore the space. Yeah, I think for me, it, coming back to like the whole like classic fantasy taverns and dungeons, like a player when you say you're walking into a tavern, the word tavern means something to you. Yeah, it gives you an evocation of it. You talk about the fire, you can hear it crackling, you can see a minstrel in your mind playing the song that you're hearing. Those types of things. When you're starting to do that with space, the tropes are the same. You know, when they walk, when, you know, in Star Wars, when they walked into Mos Eisley, into the cantina, there was a, there was music playing, there's people at a bar, everybody kind of looks for a second and checks out who the new people are. That's a Western trope. That's, that's an old mainstay trope. Those tropes don't leave. They just have a different location. Tying things into the human experiences. Exactly. Exactly. Like, you can identify with a crackling fire. You can identify with the bar. You can identify with the band on the on right. the far side. You right. Know? If you're going to a blacksmith in space or, or an alien world, and you literally walk into a... A, a uh, arched building with with high with a high ceiling that there's a blue f- there's blue smoke rising from and you come in in the warmth of a multi burner uh, uh, hearth in the very center where jets of blue fire come up and are pierced by a a multi armed alien with with a visor over him and a and heavy uh, heavy carapace on his chest that glistens and glows from it and as he hammers away and heats things with various hands you know he's a blacksmith yeah there's no question what he's doing but again you're all you're doing is taking that same imagery that you would take from a fantasy story and bring it straight into a sci-fi world and and pull those kinds of things in um one of the deep space things that you're talking about is like when you're in deep space keeping the feeling that a starship feels like a home is that it's active. Yeah. That there are places to go within it. There's a mess hall that's noisy, just like a tavern. People will personalize their spaces. Correct. There's pictures. There's, you know, uh, there's command calls that are coming over the comms openly. You hear them on, you know, the, the cal- you know, calyx going off, mm-hmm. klaxon's going off when, when, you know, flight deck is being prepped for for a mission, you know, and yep. these these people have to go. Those little things that you throw in there Remind them that's a living, breathing space that's tight and people are involved in it. Yeah. And that's what kind of brings a home to, to light. And there's nothing that says you can't use the same rules 
that uh, like City of Mist does and Urban Shadows, where you help you let them help you build that oh, home. Oh, sure, absolutely. You know, like, hey, here's your starship. Where's the mess hall? Where's the barracks rooms? Mm-hmm. You know, here, here, where's the flight deck? You know, things like that, so that they feel and see the ship. And when you talk about decks getting damaged, you know, and and ruptures and things, they know where those are. And they're like, well, how are we going to get up to the med deck? It's two levels above us, and there's a hull breach, you know, one floor directly above us. Well, we're going to have to make a, we're going to have to climb through the hangar and go up through the emergency, you know, thing. They know that. They, yeah, yeah, they yeah. built the ship with you. And that's that's part of that bringing a campaign to have a setting that is still feels like a home that's being sieged. You yeah, know? absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's that's where it comes to me. That's where I see that kind of stuff happening. So and I love that. Yep. All right. Uh I think we've uh, belabored this point just far enough. So next week we're going to be going after gritty and violent stories yeah it's a bit bit of a tonal shift but uh yeah sometimes uh sometimes our stories get uh can 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 take a take a violent edge and stuff like that so we're going to explore how to do that and do it tastefully and uh do it well you can find us on twitter at st underscore conclave on instagram at st underscore conclave listen to us live every wednesday night 7 p.m eastern time on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave and join us upon our discord you can find that link up on our twitter as well as our website storyteller conclave We'd really like to thank Charles for taking the time out of his vacation. Hey, thank you, Charles. To, yes. uh, to do this uh, interview with us today. And again, that will be up for our Patreons. Our name members are Knox in the Box, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, and Hulavu. We truly appreciate all the assistance you give us. Uh, and. Uh, uh, continue to. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at freemusicarchive.org. Big shout as always to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for loving and supporting us. Thank you. Thank All you. of our friends who sat with us at our tables over the years to give these great experiences to share with you. And you, every single one of our listeners, we love you so much. We love you guys. Good night. Good 